At this time, KCICFM invites you to join us for our weekly live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church. Song of Solomon. We're in chapter 6. Song, Song of Solomon, chapter 6. The approach that I have taken with the book is to consider the bride and the groom, and of course, all scripture is uh, talks about our Lord. Search the scriptures in them, you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, Jesus says. And um, the church is certainly called the bride, and uh, Christ is certainly called the groom. I think we can make some applications, and um, so... We're going to do that. Tonight we get into the passage. There's a few things here where um, uh, you can take it or leave it. Of course, you take it or leave it anyway, but um, that um, I'm, I can't be dogmatic about. But there's some, some interesting thoughts that have just encouraged my heart. So I'll share them with you tonight. And uh, if, it doesn't, if the shoe doesn't fit, don't buy. Okay? So here we go. Um, we had the appeal for the groom in chapter 1, then the adoration of the groom in uh, um, the following that uh, from chapter 1, verse 25 up to chapter 2, or chapter 1, verse 5, um, over to chapter 2 and verse 7, what I wrote there, and then the anticipation of the groom in chapters 2, verses 8 through 17, the ambition for the groom. Uh, the first part of chapter 3, the arrival of the groom, chapter 3, verses 6 through 11, the acceptance of the groom in chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 5, verse 1, the aversion to the groom um, where she um, uh, rejected him, and then now the association with the groom, and this is chapter two, chapter 6, verse 2 to the end of the chapter. So let me read it, and then we'll go back and take a look at it. My beloved has gone, chapter 6, verse 2, my beloved has gone down into his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, my beloved is mine, he feedeth among the lilies. Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Terza, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army, army with banners. Um, hopefully she's not, you know, upset with you. Anyway, um, turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcome me. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Gilead. Thy teeth are as flocks of sheep which go up from the washing. Wherefore, everyone beareth twins. There is not one barren among them. She's not missing any teeth. That's good. As a piece of pomegranate are thy temples within thy locks. There are three score queens and four score concubines and virgins without number. Uh, Solomon is just getting started. My dove, my undefiled, is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice one of her that bear her. The daughter saw her and blessed her. Yea, the queens and the concubines, they praised her. Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, terrible as an army with banners? I went down into the garden of nuts to see the fruits of the valley and to see whether the vine flourished and the pomegranates budded. Or ever I was aware... My soul made me like the chariots of Aminabid, not Nab, Nab, Nadib. And I have another 
uh, name in my head, and so I have to stop and think. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon thee. What will ye see in the Shulamite? As it were, the company of two armies. Well, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you would just help us tonight as we consider your word, that it, we, we would take it as your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would um, remove any um, things from this message that would distract, but Lord, help us to think on you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So, what a wonderful privilege to be associated with Jesus Christ. Amen? We are considered to be his body, his building, his bride. You see all of that in the book of Ephesians. And it's just, that is a wonderful book. Um, and to be, uh, he is the head of the church, which is his body. Um, even the angels um, look in on the church to see what is going on, as it says in Ephesians 3.10. And um, uh, to him be glory in the church, uh, Ephesians 3.21. And uh, what, what, what a wonderful thing. You see the unity of the church as the body of Christ in the book of Ephesians. I'm, not, I'm, I'm kind of preaching Ephesians, but I'm not over there. You see the submission of the, of the, of the bride to the groom, to Christ. So what a wonderful thing, thing it is to be associated with the groom. And that's what I believe these verses are uh, alluding to here in, in Song of Solomon, in this Song of Songs. And uh, I want to consider three different elements in the passage that we had tonight. I want to look at his shepherding of her. I want you to consider, as she is associated with him, I want you to see his speech about her. Is, is the bride is associated with her, with him. And then I want you to see his sanctification or sanctifying of her as she is associated with him. And so jumping in, looking at his shepherding of her in chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. So my beloved, you see, first of all, his pastoring. My beloved has gone down into his garden to the beds of spices to feed literally to pastor, pastor in the gardens and to gather lilies. You see his pastoring here. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He feedeth, he, he pastors among the lilies. And his pastoring is, is as the chief shepherd. He, it, is a wonderful, it is a wonderful experience to be under his pastoring, his feeding, he feed, to feed in the gardens. And uh, he's gone down into his garden to the beds of spices to feed, to pastor in, in the gardens as if he were pastoring his sheep there. Um, my beloved, uh, he's loved. He certainly is loved by us. We love him because he first loved us. He's gone down. Uh, he has he come from heaven's glories as it talks about in Philippians chapter 2 and and emptied himself and became, came to this earth, took on him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Um, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He came down. He came down to his garden, to this place that he's made. And, uh, and it's a place of spices, the sweet fragrances, particularly when he is here. And then you see his shepherding to, to feed in the gardens, to gather lilies. He's seeking, he's, he's seeking uh, these flowers. He is gathering there. He is the chief shepherd. 
Um, he, is, he is our pastor. And uh, you see his possession. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. What, what precious words. He pastors. He pastors among the lilies. And uh, the beauty of all of this, you know, when we had men and boys retreat uh, this last summer, we were a little early on that, and, we, and they didn't have the, uh, they had some problems back up on uh, the uncompadre there, and so they didn't have the road open. So we had to camp outside the, the cattle guard there. And, but where we were when we got there was just all these purple flowers just everywhere. You remember that? It was just beautiful. And, um, and, uh, the, and that was probably about the only nice place about that. I mean, the wind just ripped us up for part of that. But um, um, beautiful. Uh, what a beautiful thing. He feeds among the lilies. He pastors among the lilies. What a beautiful thing to be under the pastoring of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and if, I can, if I can just interject, uh, us in a church, we ought, to be, we ought to be in submission to him. We ought to be like it says in Ephesians, where we submit ourselves to him and his pastoring of Pear Park Baptist Church and his leading here. And, uh, and that includes every one of us. That, that includes me as an under-shepherd. That includes you as, as, as the sheep of the congregation. And we ought to be, we ought to be in support of, of him and, and, and be orderly and wise in all that we do. Where there's, where there's selfish ambition and in all of the stirrings of the heart that are bitter envyings, there's confusion in every evil work. And um, how important it is to be under him. Oh, his possession. I am his and he is mine. I love that song in the songbook. Um, and then his pleasantness. It's among the lilies. It's just a beautiful thing uh, to be under his pastoring. And then you see his speech about her in chapter 6 in verse 4. Um, his compliment toward his bride. And every, every groom ought to compliment his bride, right? Um, and certainly Christ compliments his bride. And you see the language here. Thou art beautiful, O my love. And he compliments her, his, her beauty. And I, again, I mentioned Psalm 90, verse 17. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. The only way we would really be beautiful is if we become Christ-like. And, um, and may he work that Christ-likeness in us. And uh, we don't always see ourselves in the mirror of God's word. But if we'll look and uh, we make adjustments as we see in the word of God, he will, he will beautify us. Thou art beautiful, O my love. As Terza, Terza is an interesting place. Terza means favorable or my delight. Terza was one of the daughters of Zelophead. I call him Zelophead. He was, he, was he was descended out of the tribe of Manasseh. And uh, he had four daughters. And they, with the Zelophead, there was a question about, you know, could, could girls, uh, women inherit uh, their, their father's estate in the land if there were no brothers? And the answer came back from God, yes. And uh, that was a wonderful thing. And I, I, I'm almost guessing, I don't know, I'm just, it's just a, it's a kind of a venture. I'm guessing that the city of Terza in that part of the half-tribe of Manasseh on the, on the west side of the Jordan River, I'm guessing that possibly that came from the Terza of Zelophead. It, was, it, was it was, became actually the, the um, capital of the northern empire under the, under the reign of Basia. And for about a 40-year period there, uh, he reigned the, 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 
northern tribes out of Terza. And it means my delight. And so it's a neat word to be used here. Beautiful little city there uh, nestled in between the hills. Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Terza, uh, my delight. Comely or as beautiful as Jerusalem. Uh, Lamentations chapter 2, verse 15 talks about Jerusalem being the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth. And, uh, and truly, Jerusalem is a beautiful place, even today with all of the buildings. But if you come up from the Dead Sea, the Jordan Valley, and you come up through the, you know, all those little hills and, and increase in elevation, and you break over by Mount Scopus as you come from the, from the east to the west, kind of the northwest part, and you pop in there over those hills, you look down, and there is, is the Temple Mount, Mount Zion, and you see all of those, those stone buildings and all of the evergreens and greenery around, uh, you know, up on that hill and from the valleys. And it just ex- accentuates the, the, the Temple Mount, if you will. And it's just, it is just a beautiful thing. And then, and then when you, you see that, it, plus it's Jerusalem, right? And uh, the city of the great king. And you just, man, it's just, you, you just are thrilled to see such a beautiful thing. Um, that's, he is complimenting her in the highest it's terrible as an army with banners. It's just, a, you know, you can imagine these, these armies in those days um, not having television or any kind of media where you could see. I mean, if you saw something, in re, if you were going to see it, you were going to see it in real life. And, and the, an army with all of their banners as they're marching, what, a, what an awesome, wonderful thing. And that's what he compares her to. When she shows up, it's just like, wow. Um, and uh, this, this is the compliment of the groom towards his bride. And if you think about the applications of Christ and his heart and, and compliment of his bride, um, wow, it's just, it's just thrilling. And it even gets better. You get to verse five, it says this. He says, turn away thine eyes. He's telling her, turn away thy eyes from me. They, they have overcome me. Um, he's, I put the word, you have his compliment in, in the Verse 4 and verse 5 through 7, you have his confusion from his bride. Um, her look, when she looks at him, he is just overcome. Um, he's just having a hard time keeping his thoughts. She's so beautiful and she's looking right at him. And uh, I know this is kind of gushy, but I can remember that. Uh, way back when, my, when, when I first, you know, we're falling in love and all of that. Man, she would look at me and it's just like... I can't even think. Um, and so that's what's being described here. Now take it and apply it to Christ. When Christ says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there's none else. And, and, and the soul takes a look at Christ. And in a certain sense, he is overcome with joy because another soul comes into the kingdom. Charles Haddon Spurgeon talks about being saved from that passage in Isaiah um, and uh, chapter 45, verse 22. And then it, and it fits with John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, about as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so shall the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life. And just that look of, of, of towards, towards Christ in love and trust of salvation and the thrill that brings to his soul, there's joy in the presence of God over one soul that comes to him. And then her, her look, her loveliness, you see this here as he describes her, 
Her hair is like a flock of goats. You know, you see these goats uh, that appear from Gilead and over the green mountains and, and the beauty of those. I can remember driving to um, Denver one time, and it's just, we got just past um, Eagle. Um, you get through, and you get ready to go down by the river there and cross the river and go up towards um, um, Edwards and all the rest of that. But there's some, some really red dirt mountains with the greenery and they just are very red right there off to the left. And one time I was driving and I came, and I don't know where these things came from, but there was a whole, there was a whole flock of, I don't know if they were mountain goats or what they were, or if they were domesticated goats, but there was a whole, like, oh, five or six or seven of them coming down through those trees over the red rocks, and they were just white. And I just thought, wow, look at that. It's beautiful. And he compliments her hair as just being beautiful. I think this dark, I think I picture in my mind these dark black um, goats and all of them black and just the beauty of that on the, on the green of the hills. And uh, her teeth are as a flock of sheep which have come up from the washing so they're all nice and white. And there's not one of them missing. They all are twins. And, uh, and a piece of pomegranate are thy temples within thy locks and just the beauty of that. And uh, he compliments her loveliness. And um, then you get down to his comparison of his bride, verses 8 through 10. There are three score queens. That's, that's 60 queens and four score concubines. That's 80 concubines and virgins without number. And, of course, we know Solomon had, had 300 or 700 wives, 300 concubines. Um, but, but here, out of all of these that he has right here, she is like number one. My dove, my undefiled, you see this comparison here. When he talks about his undefiled, he talks about her perfection, her completeness. And again, I think of Christ and the church and what he does for us. He is our all in all. We are called saints in him. Us, saints. Can you believe that? Um, with all the things that we say and do and, 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 the, and, the, and the mess that we are, and, he, and yet he will call us saints. He, he justifies the ungodly, that verse of Scripture we so often quote. Um, he, my dove is my undefiled, but is one. She is the only one of her mother. The idea here, um, she is the choice one of her that bear, bear her. The word choice has the idea of being pure and clean. She is she is. Peculiar in the sense that she is unique, set out from all the others. She is pure and clean. Again, I think of the Lord's justification of us. And she is praised. The daughters saw her and blessed her. Yea, the queens and the concubines, they praised her. And I think of what the Lord does for us in Christ and how he sets us apart from this, this world and all that is in it. And we become his. We are unique. We are separated. We are holy ones set apart to him. And what a precious relationship we have with the Lord as his bride. Um, it, is, it is just thrilling. And you see her praise. Matter of fact, he goes on in the passage. Um, if you get down to verse 10, she looketh forth as the morning. She's like the, <coughs> pardon me. 
She's like the, she's looking down like the sun in the morning as the sun comes up and, and just the brilliance of that. Fair as the moon. The other night, boy, I just came out and we, we had a full moon just here recently. Boy, isn't it wonderful? I mean, did you get to see the full moon coming up over by the mesa? Isn't that, I mean, it's just like monster. And I love the monster moons, you know, when they come up and they're just right there. And, and just the beauty of that. And every once in a while when I see that, I go grab my wife and say, come on, look at the moon. And, uh, but then the next morning to get up and to see it over here in this horizon. And uh, the moon is still there. What a beautiful thing. She's compared to the moon. Clear as the sun. And terrible as an army with banners. Again, he's just wowed with her in every way. And I think of the Lord towards his bride. You know, it is, there's nothing in us. There's nothing in us that is of any beauty. It's like God told Israel, I didn't pick you because you were greater than all the rest of the nation, but I picked you because I made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm going to keep my promise. And when God came down and saved us, it wasn't because of any beauty in us. He, did, he didn't save us because, you know, I think that'll be a good one right there. He didn't do that. He saved us because we were bad ones, and he changes us and makes us beautiful like him. And so... Um, so important to always be in the Word of God, be, have our mirror, if you will, and, and uh, always be looking at the image of Christ to be conformed like Him. And then you see His sanctifying of her here in the passage of Scripture. And you see this in verses 11 and through the verse 13. And this is where it gets a little, for me, a little fuzzy, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you what I think, okay? Take it or leave it. Verse 11, you see a working um, she went down into the garden of nuts to see the fruits of the valley and to see whether the vine flourished and the pomegranates budded. Or ever I was aware, my soul made me like the chariots of Aminadib. They say, commentators, one commentator said, verse 12 is the hardest verse in the Old Testament to interpret. Isn't that interesting? Um, another commentator says this is definitely the hardest verse to interpret in Song of Solomon. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. You know, I, I don't know anything about Hebrew. But as we look at the verse, I want to I propose something to you here. They, one of the, one of the commentators said this about the verse, that this, this right here, these two verses right here, they say they think is the story of how she met Solomon to begin with, which is kind of interesting. That she was going down to, to the garden where the, where, the, where the nut trees grew and, um, and where the vines were flourishing and the pomegranates. She went down to see how things were going down in the valley where the, where the things were growing. And as she did, Solomon met her and saw her. And from that moment... It seemed like just a whirlwind before the next thing she knew, or ever I was aware, before I knew it would be the way we put it, before I knew it, my soul set me, literally set me in the chariots of willingness when it came to Solomon. And so let me just talk to you about this for just a little bit. And... Um, so the pastoring again, as she's going to the garden, as she's going to the place where if we can say where Christ is, before she knew it, there, there's this place of fruitfulness this, and, 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 
in a garden, fruits, uh, vines flourishing, pomegranates budding. It's just a place of wonderful beauty with Christ. She's going down there. These things happen to her. And the Bible says she, she comes across him. And as it says in verse 12, or ever I was aware before I knew, before I knew what had happened. We, we say that. Wow. Before I knew what had happened, you know, 10 years it had already gone past. Or in her case, before I knew what had happened, you know, I met him on the trail that day, and before I knew what had happened, I was in his chariot. I was his wife. And it, and it happens so quickly, so it's like a mini thing, is what many think here. And the, transfer, the transformation that took place of her soul, um, as it says, my soul made me like the chariots of a Amenadab. And um, the, the, her soul was directed or set, the idea of being set or directed into, to, to, towards him, to be with him in this, in this relationship. Um, one of the things that causes a real difficulty is that last word of the verse, Ami Nadib. And Ami Nadib is made up of two parts. It means people, Ami, and then it means, uh, the Nadib means the idea of being inclined or willing and uh, uh, or noble so there's some between being noble and willing those two ideas and that's what one of the reasons that the translators start or the people who try to get the commentators i say get start going all over the place on this but i would i like to propose to you this that in her relationship with her with christ under his shepherding when she comes to him before she knows it she is in the chariot of willingness with him to be submitted to him and to go with him and to be in this, in this wonderful relationship. And in the book of Psalms, in two different places, the, I just want to bring out the theme here. Psalm chapter 40 and verse 8. I delight to do thy will. Oh my God. Thy, yea, thy law is within my heart. Um, to not, not, not this, okay, not this. I, did, I delight to do my will. No, no, that's not what it says. I delight to do thy will, oh my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. When, when we think about the will of God and, and ourselves and, and our will and what we want to do and what's important to us and all the rest of that, it is so hard to, it, well, maybe I should put it this way, it's so easy to get onto the track of our will, what we want to do versus what his will is. And it's kind of like a train track. Once, you get on the, once we get on the track of, you know, if Randy David gets on the track of his will, and then all of a sudden we realize... Christ's will is over here, and Randy David's will is here. To make that, to get the train off of this track and get it over on this track sometimes is a real difficult track. You know what I'm talking about? When you realize, you know what? I think I'm in conflict with his will. And you know what? I may have to humble myself, and I may have to, I may have to get over on this other track. 
And sometimes we go through some real difficult heart gymnastics to make that, although it shouldn't be hard for us if we just come to this verse and we say, Lord, I delight to do your will. That's what I want. May, if I can put it in my own shoes, may Randy David die so that Christ can live. And may my will die so that I can fulfill your will. It's back to the chief shepherd thing. Uh, Lord, you're my shepherd. And so to, to get in the willing chariot here and to have the spirit of willingness. Now, the other verse I wanted to show you is Psalm 110. And it, and it talks about where we're going. Psalm 110 and verse 3 says this. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Amen. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of youth. And Christ will come back and he's going to strike through kings in the day of his wrath. And he's going to judge the heathen. He's going to drink of the brook by the way. And he's going to lift up the head. And he's coming back. Oh, oh that we might, we might be part of the willing. Those who are in submission to him and desires to put his will above anything else. And then a couple other little things here. That, this is her want. Verse 13 says this. Return, return, O Shulamite. Return, return. And here's it again. This is a little foggy here, but I, but I, and I know it doesn't quite fit with the passage, but it almost seems like the world would, would, would always be pulling on us to pull us back away from being with the groom. We're in the chariot with the groom, and we're going, and the, and, and the world would say, come back, come back. Now, here's where it gets inconsistent. They want to see her beauty again. And I do think there's a certain sense in which this world looks at the bride of Christ when they are following Christ and being Christ-like, and they just say, show me that again. You were just, you, you, you just brought money back because you were overchanged? Um, you, you know, how come you didn't swear when you dropped that brick on your foot? And, and different things like that. And they just say, well, come back here. I want to see that again, <laughs> you know, almost. Come back, come back. We, we may see, may we look upon thee. What will ye see in the Shulamite? She says, well, what are you going to see in the Shulamite? By the way, the word Shulamite, that, that the, she's called the Shulamite here, which is kind of unique. What are you going to see in the Shulamite, the perfect, the perfect one, the complete one, the, the, peace, the peaceful one, the one who has peace, the one who's been justified by the Lord? What are you going to see in her? That's a good question. We should see Christ in her. And it goes on to say, as it were, the company of two armies. So we'll finish with this little one and we'll be done. The, the, what is in the language here? Um, where she is being compared to this company of two armies or what's going on with her, the company of two armies. One of the words that's used here is the word dancing. And the other word that's used here is the word, and I'm going to show it to you, in Genesis 32.1. In Genesis 32.1, Jacob is coming back. He's, he's leaving Laban. He's coming back. He's about ready to meet Esau, and he's scared He's afraid of Esau because these last loving words Esau had for him is, when I see you again, I'm going to kill you. And he says in, in Genesis 32, verse 1, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of the place Mahanan, Mahaniam. 
which means double camp. So here was the camp of angels, which is really kind of strange. All the, and then here's Jacob's camp with all of his, you know, his flocks and his, you know, his family and all his children, all these little children there. And here comes Esau, the, you know, the killer is coming. And Jacob gets this revelation. He sees, here's the angels of God camping right over beside him. And I don't know how that played into the whole picture with Esau. I don't know if, that, if, if Esau heard about this camp that was with Jacob and it, and it didn't cool his jets. I don't know all of what happened there. But I know God's angels were right there with Jacob. But this word comes up later because this is the, this is the place. But I think the application, even more than Jacob, is over in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 8. And in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 8, it says this, an interesting thing, um, if I can get there, interesting thing takes place when um, Saul is, dies in battle. And so Abner, 2 Samuel 2, 8, Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and he brought him over to Mahanaim, and he made him king over Gilead and over the, all of the northern tribes. So now you, have a, now you have two kingdoms. First time, really, you have two kingdoms here. You have um, Saul's died now. The kingdom's now going to be split. You're going to have David's kingdom over Judah, and you're going to have now, the, for, for the first time now, you're going to have out of Mahanaim, you're going to have Ishbosheth reigning, and you're going to have two kingdoms. And they're all God's people, but there's two camps. And when you come to... The Feast of Pentecost, and there's the two loaves, the two leaven loaves, speaking of the Jews and the Gentiles. That's an interesting thing. When you come, when Saul, the, the signs happen to Saul before he's, a, you know, right after he's anointed king, when, you know, the, nobody knows yet, but he, and he's going back, and, and Samuel says there's going to be some signs happen to you. You're going to meet some guys with some goats, three goats, and somebody's going to have a bottle of wine, and they're going to have three loaves of bread, Saul, and they're going to give you two. The king is going to get the two loaves. That's kind of interesting. And the king does get the two loaves. When you go to the book of Ephesians, the Bible says in chapter 2, Verse 13, but now in Christ, gee, you Gentiles who didn't have anything to do with him. Now, in Ephesians 2.13, now ye are sometimes far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. He's our peace. He's made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, between the Gentiles and the Jews in the church. And he makes one new man at the end of verse 15, one body in verse 16, Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you that were far off and to them that were nigh. Gentiles and Jews. And that's what the church is all about. In, the, in, the, in Pentecost with the two loaves, the Jews and the Gentiles become one. In the church, one part of the body, one bride of Christ. And when you go back to our text, and it's talking about the, the, the dancing of the two camps. Aren't we? Jew and Gentile. And aren't we like Miriam and the women coming out after, after the, the destruction of Pharaoh's armies at the, at the Red Sea and, the, and the Miriam and the women take their tam tambourines and they are out in celebration 
that they have escaped Pharaoh at last. And in our association with Jesus Christ, there are the two camps, and there is some dancing going on. We are rejoicing that we have freedom from old Lucifer, and we are now free to, we are associated with Jesus Christ, and we are under him, the chief shepherd and uh, the groom. Amen. Father, thank you so much. I do pray that you would help. And, and Lord, even though if some of these things, the thoughts were, were not completely accurate with what is in Song of Solomon, Lord, I don't know. But Lord, I know that the thoughts that we have uh, from the New Testament, the application certainly, Lord, uh, can thrill our hearts as we think about all of these things. So Father, help us to rejoice in you. Help us to be submitted to you. And God, help us to be unified and, Lord, rejoicing in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly live broadcast from Pear Park Baptist Church. We pray the service was a blessing to all our listeners. Our earnest prayer is that you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10:13 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to trust Christ, you must first believe that you're a sinner, deserving of God's judgment, and that Christ died to pay God's penalty for your sin, and that he rose again from the dead then you may right now pray. And according to Romans 10.13, call upon God and ask for salvation through Jesus Christ. If you've made a decision to trust Christ, let us know. The number of the offices at Pear Park Baptist Church is 434-4113. Someone's generally available to take calls during regular weekday business hours. In addition, the best means to spiritual help and growth is through faithful attendance at a Bible-believing church. We would encourage you to be at the very next service of Pear Park Baptist Church. Our weekly prayer meeting and Bible study is at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Sunday schools at 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday mornings with the worship service at 11 and at 6.30 p.m. the evening service. Pear Park Baptist Church is a fundamental Bible-preaching and Bible-believing church located here in Grand Junction at 3102 E Road. And once again, we appreciate your joining us for this live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church.